facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. A thunderous Thursday to you. It is March the 9th, 2023, and you're talking to me right now, Kale Clark. Happy to be with you. 888-914-9149, wherever you may be. You might be driving home, might be picking up the kids from school, might be leaving work, might be on the freeway in a traffic jam. If so, I hope you're proudly displaying your relevant radio bumper sticker. Uh, But at any rate, yeah, just roll down the windows, even if it's cold out. I just blast this show, blast Relevant Radio, and spread the word. And here's another word. It is called Twitter. And you can follow me on Twitter at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. You can email the program, C-A-L-E at RelevantRadio.com, Kale at RelevantRadio.com. Lots to talk about today. My goodness. Uh, The German synodal path. Oh boy, you're going to be hearing about this tomorrow, okay? It's going to be in the news. There's going to be some sort of a headline, I guarantee, saying that German bishops vote to abolish priestly celibacy. Okay, I'll tell you what actually happened and whether you need to worry about it uh, later in the program, 888-914-9149, plus much, much more. But I, I want to start with this. Uh, I, I read this book last night. I started reading it, and this was a I'd heard about this book off and on over the past uh, couple of years, and it's a it's a New York Times bestseller, and it's kind of a personal growth book. It's called The Four Agreements, and I first heard about this, believe it or not, through Tom Brady. Not that I not that Tom and I are on not that we're as tight as we used to be. He did not call me to tell me whether or not he's thinking about coming back again. And I'll try not to, to mention Tom too much. I, I mentioned him yesterday, just totally unrelated. Uh, Producer Jim is not exactly a Tom Brady fan, let's put it that way. So every time I mention Tom, he just kind of cringes because, of course, Tom won his first Super Bowl at the expense of Jim's then St. Louis Rams. But Cheaters. big St. Louis guy. <laughs> hey! Yeah, nothing's been proven. All right. Anyways, uh, having said that, uh, I heard that Tom Brady was reading this book, and I thought, well, that's interesting. I've never heard of this book, The Four Agreements. What are the Four Agreements? Now, it's written by this spiritual guru named Don Miguel Ruiz. Now, he is not Catholic. This is not a Catholic book. In fact, he comes from a vastly different spiritual background, which is called the Toltec background is Toltec spiritual. I didn't even know what this was. I'd never heard of this before. It's indigenous to Mexico. And for all intents and purposes, this is a pagan spirituality. So why would I, why would I read this? I'll get into that in just a minute, but what are the four agreements? This is a pretty simple read, by the way. It's a, it's, it's not a long book at all. And I'm not, I'm not recommending this book. I'm not necessarily recommending this book, but I do want to talk about a couple of things in the book that were very intriguing to me. So what are the four agreements? Now, if I, I, I'm not saying, by the way, if I adhere to these four agreements, I, I will uh, play quarterback in the NFL like Tom Brady, but apparently he found this helpful in his life. But what are the four agreements? Number one, be impeccable with your word. Number two, don't take anything personally. Number three, don't make assumptions. And number four, always do your best. 
Okay, so be impeccable with your word, don't take anything personally, don't make assumptions, and always do your best. Well, just on the surface of things, those sound pretty good to me. I mean, not not really delving into the, the meat in these in these chapters about these four agreements, but don't we all wish that other people would be impeccable with their word when they're speaking to us? And I think that's that's something to shoot for. Now, what he means by this might be something else. But this idea of speaking with integrity, saying only what we mean, uh, not gossiping about other people. I think we can all get behind this. He talks about using the power of our words in the direction of truth and love. Now, again, this this guy is not a Catholic. I don't think he is by any stretch of the imagination, but it does seem like he is at least familiar with the teachings of the church. Maybe he's an ex-Catholic or maybe some of his family members were Catholic. I'm not sure, but he does talk about priests in the book and, and, and church a little bit. He does talk about, in, in the chapter on being impeccable with your word, he talks about John's gospel. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And, the, and it goes on to say, of course, John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's Christ, the living word of God. And so the incarnate word of God so this idea that the word is powerful, obviously God's word is extremely powerful. All things came into being through his word. And, and of course, all things were created through Christ. He is the word made flesh. Okay, enough of the theology lesson. So he's not necessarily talking about that, but our words do have consequences and our words do carry a lot of power, power for good, power for ill. He gives an example in, in the book of Hitler, how this guy with his words, the things that he said led to untold, millions of people being slaughtered, uh, a world war, untold hellish devastation that still echoes and reverberates to this day because of one guy and the words that he said. So they can tear down, our words can also build up, of course, and be incredibly positive. Uh, you may have had the experience of a kind word from someone and it might have changed your life. Just something as simple as somebody being friendly to you, be, being kind to you with, with their words. And heard a true story about a, a factory worker who was saved from certain death. It was kind of in a meatpacking plant. And there was a security guard at the, at the plant. And nobody ever talked to this guy. He was, he was always at the door. And people just ignored him as if he wasn't there when all the workers came in. Except for one guy. One guy at the meatpacking plant who was a, a practicing Catholic and he would always greet this guy, talk to him, ask him about his family. He was super kind to him. And it got to the point where the security guard would look forward to him showing up in the morning and leaving, clocking out of his shift because he knew that he was going to have a positive interaction with this guy. And it was going to kind of uplift him in the midst of uh, maybe having a bad day. Well, one particular day when it was closing time, he didn't see this guy come out of, of, the, of the plant. And he thought, that's strange. This guy always says hi to me. He's always nice to me. He's always got a kind word for me and a smile. And he thought, this isn't right. There's something going on here. So he, he went into the factory, which was now shut down. He found this guy. He, would, he had somehow passed out in, in a sub-zero freezer where they keep <laughs> these frozen sides of beef or whatever the case may be. He, he would have died. He would have died there overnight, had a medical condition. He was able to save this guy. He was still alive, wasn't frozen to death, but he was able to get him to the hospital. And he survived. He owed his life to the fact that he was kind with his word uh, to this person. So just a little anecdote, but that, that's, that, so that's 
obviously something that we should really think about and and strive to be impeccable with our word. But but the but the middle two, these are the ones I want to talk about a little bit right now. And again, I'll, I'll get into whether or not people should read these types of books that are not from a Catholic perspective. I'll deal with that in just a second. But the second agreement that this guy, Don Miguel Ruiz, brings up in his book, don't take anything personally. Don't take anything personally. If we could just do the two middle ones, don't take anything personally and don't make assumptions, we would eliminate a lot of needless suffering in our life. Of course, some suffering in our life we can't avoid, There are crosses that God gives us. A lot of what we're doing in Lent here is willingly embracing the cross. Mortifications that we choose for ourselves. We die to ourselves a little bit. As St. Paul says, I die daily. You pick up your cross. You you feel the splinters of the cross. Maybe you're giving up something that you love. You're giving up your, I don't know, uh, uh, maybe you like to have a drink uh, on the weekend. You're giving that up. Uh, Maybe you are doing a positive mortification. And mortifications don't have to be negative. They can be positive. Like, I'm going to exercise. I'm going to start running. I'm going to whatever, work out. I'm going to make put myself in better shape. And th- this has a side benefit because, hey, guess what? I will, I will be hopefully healthier. I'll be around for my family, my friends, be able to serve God for a longer period of time in this world, in the light of eternity. Things like that, a positive mortification that makes other people happy. <laughs> As St. Jose Maria said, choose mortifications that don't mortify other people. If you hate doing the laundry, try doing the laundry. It might help out your spouse and, and can improve your marriage. There's a lot of better, positive benefits. And I know, I know my wife's listening to me. Well, why don't you take your own advice, Kale? I know. Hey, Lent, Lent isn't over yet, honey. We're, we're just getting going here. Miracles can happen. But having said that, this idea of don't take anything personally personally is really important. And uh, this guy says, Don Miguel Ruiz says, nothing others do is because of you. What others say and do is a projection of their own reality, their own dream. When you are immune to the opinions and actions of others, you won't be the victim of needless suffering. End of quote. Now, easier said than done. Easier said than done. But having said that, we all fall prey to this because when somebody says something negative about us or maybe criticizes us, and maybe not all criticism is unwarranted, by the way. Not all criticism is unwarranted. We can learn a lot from our critics. We, I read a critical email. It was kind of funny, but uh, on the show yesterday, and I always think of the, the incident in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, where This guy who is completely unhinged comes up to King David. He's kind of got this royal procession going. David's there with all his bodyguards. And this guy comes up and starts cursing out King David, the most powerful guy out there. He starts cursing him to his face. Just he is livid about something. He's really upset. And his bodyguards kind of look at David and say, shall we kill him, boss? (laughs) I mean... So off with his head. I mean, just say the word. We're just, we're just, we've got an itchy trigger finger here. And David says, no, you know what? Maybe the Lord want, has sent him to talk to me. Maybe, maybe God wants to get a message to me through this guy. And he actually sits there and listens to this guy berate him. because That's true humility. That's true humility to say, I, I can learn something. Even from my critics, there's something, there's a, a grain of truth in there. Is maybe something that I'm doing wrong, 
or maybe something that I'm not doing that I ought to be doing. And maybe I need to hear this. Now, maybe it's all nonsense, but just having the ability to, to listen is important. However, however, not all things that people say to us are, in fact, based on reality or are good for us to hear. And a lot of it is downright negative and insulting. And you just have to understand it's not about you. It's not about you. It's very difficult not to take things personally. It's very difficult not to take things personally, especially if uh, maybe you were, maybe you grew up in a home where you didn't get uh, positive reinforcement at home, or you were criticized a lot by your loved ones. And maybe they thought in their own mind they were trying to help. And a lot of forgiveness in life ha has to be to forgive those who maybe they were doing the best they could, maybe not, but maybe there was malice involved, but who, who hurt us in some way with their words and, and that had a negative uh, repercussion uh, on us, on us. But people are dealing with their own stuff and what they're saying is not necessarily objective reality. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it is something that we do need to hear. But this guy says, you know, try to, try to be have some equanimity here. If somebody says you're the greatest, don't necessarily believe it. If somebody says you're the biggest knucklehead in the world, you don't necessarily have to believe that either, and you should not believe that. Don't take it personally. And he, he, he goes really to extremes with this. He says, quote, don't take anything personally. Even if someone got a gun, Lord forbid, and shot you in the head, it's nothing personal. <laughs> nothing personal, uh, even at that extreme. But, but uh, the point remains, the point remains that it's not because of you. you. You people are reacting to you because of something that's going on within them. And anyway, so let's move on from that one. That's not the one I really wanted to, to mention, though. The one that really kind of spoke to me here was the third agreement, which is don't make assumptions. Don't make assumptions. Now, this is something that we do all the time, all the time. We make assumptions about everybody about their motives, about what's really going on. We make assumptions about everything. And he says, quote, the problem with making assumptions is that we believe they are the truth. We could swear they're real. We make assumptions about what others are doing or thinking. We take it personally. Then we blame them and react by sending emotional poison with our word. That's why whenever we make assumptions, we're asking for problems. We make an assumption, we misunderstand, we take it personally, and we end up creating a whole big drama for nothing. All the sadness and drama you have lived in your life was rooted in making assumptions, and this is the, this is the other one, right? Don't make assumptions uh, and don't take anything personally. All the sadness and drama you have lived in your life was rooted in making assumptions and taking things personally, end of quote. So. That, that's, that's a good point. That's a good point. Um, maybe not all the sadness and trauma in our life comes from that, but quite a bit of it does. Because we create this narrative in our minds, and if we make assumptions about things, especially in our, in our most important relationships, it could be our marriage, it could be a, a business relationship. Let's say uh, to, you and your boss are trying to negotiate a contract, and you're not talking to one another. There might be a lot of assumptions that are made about what the other party is thinking. But if you don't communicate, you don't talk, you're not going to get this stuff out in the open and terrible things can happen because of these misunderstandings. 
And one of the things that Ruiz says is, quote, we create a lot of emotional poison just by making assumptions and taking them personally, because we usually start gossiping about our assumptions. Now, obviously, gossip is a sin, a terrible thing to do. And he says, really, it's a way of transferring poison to one another. We're afraid to ask for, for clarification. We make assumptions. We believe we're right about these assumptions. And then we defend these assumptions and try to make somebody else wrong. So what, what's, what's the solution to this? Ask questions. We'll talk about that in just a second. But the problem is we often perceive things the way that we want to perceive them, the way that we want to see them, the way that we want to hear them what we think is true, what we want to be true, but not necessarily the way things are. We can dream up a lot of things in our imaginations. It's quite a playground. It's quite a playground. And one of the things that we can do in Lent, some of us need to do this, especially me, I'm, I'm preaching to myself here, believe me, is try to have, there's exterior mortifications that we've been talking about, things that we might want to give up, positive mortifications, negative mortifications, give up this, try to do that a little bit better do some push-ups, whatever. But what about interior mortifications? Mortification of the thought life. That is really, really difficult. St. Paul says, take every thought captive to Christ. Every thought. That's really difficult to do. There are thoughts going through our minds at all times, like the clouds in the sky that are, that are rolling through. Try to let them roll through, at least. If you can't take it captive, let it go. But don't dwell on it if it's, if it's a negative one. We can dream up all kinds of things. And sometimes we can get caught in a fantasy land that has no basis in reality. And then he gives an example in the book, and I've actually done this before. Here's what he says, quote, here's an example. You're walking in the mall. You see a person you like. That person turns to you and smiles and then walks away. You can make a lot of assumptions just because of this one experience. With this assumption, you can create a whole fantasy, and you really want to believe this fantasy and make it real. A whole dream begins to form just from your assumptions, and you can believe, oh, this person really likes me. She smiled at me. Now, of course, in my university days, this was, this was like a daily occurrence for me. Hey, 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 that girl smiled at me. Guess what? We're going to get married. We're going to have like seven or eight kids. We're going to have this beautiful picket fence home. Uh, Yeah, you you can create this whole narrative from a smile. And the whole thing, though, is is all in your mind. It's not actually real. So that's a problem. But what about when you actually get married? Well, we can make assumptions in our marriage relationship. And one of the biggest things that... that And I've done this. I've done this. And I'm sure my wife is laughing right now because we, we assume that our spouse knows what we're thinking. They know us so well, right? They know us like the back of their hand. They know us so well. We don't need to say what we're actually looking for or what we mean. They should know. They should know. And if they don't do what we think that they should do, we're hurt. And we say, well, you should have known. You should have known. I can't believe that you did me like that. So that's, that's a huge problem. Communication is absolutely key. He talks about people getting married, and they have all kinds of misconceptions about, about marriage. If, if you're not clear on this going in, I don't know if you can ever really figure this out going in, because a lot of this stuff, you only learn, learn it by doing. You only learn it in the context of a marriage when you're actually living it out. But a marriage is basically two sinners moving in under the same roof, right? So there's going to be some conflict. There's going to be some rough edges. We need that. We need that in a certain sense to become saints. St. Jose Maria said... 
Look, if, if your character and the character of everybody else around you was as soft and sweet as a marshmallow, you would never become a saint. You just, oh, yeah, the Stay puff Marshmallow Man, how sweet he is to be around. You just kind of bounce off him. No, the character of that person grinds against yours, and there, there's some rough patches, but that's, that's what smooths us out and, and helps create the sculpted image of Christ. And at any rate, we go into marriage with a lot of assumptions about what marriage is about. Could be from our parents' marriage or society, whatever, it doesn't matter. Your spouse may have completely different assumptions, and and this leads to to issues. The you might come home from work, and find your spouse is angry, or you might be angry, and they don't know why you're mad, and they're expecting that you will just simply figure it out. Well, if you don't communicate, we're not mind readers. We're not going to be able to get on the same page. So, this is where making assumptions is a bad thing. We've got to talk to each other. We've got to we've got to absolutely do that. So ask questions. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid to clarify. Maybe don't accuse people of things, but maybe say, it seems as if you're upset about X. Well, you're, you're gosh darn right I'm upset. <laughs> I don't know. It might, might go like that. But um, don't be afraid to ask questions. We, we're sometimes um, kind of pre-programmed not to do that. I, at any rate, just a couple of interesting points I got from this thing, and uh, I'm not finished with it yet, but it's uh, a pretty short read. And when, when we come back, maybe I'll ask, answer the question, why would I read a book that is not a Catholic book? Should other people do this? Is this a wise course of action? I'm going to talk about that after the break. Plus, much, much more. It's the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Call in. I'd love to hear your thoughts. 888-914-9149. Be right back. Explaining the faith so you can explain it to others. It's the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Hey, welcome back to the program. 888-914-9149 is the number to call if you want to call in and talk to me. 888-914-9149. If you have a take on what you just heard or you have a question about something else, why not grab a vine? 888-914-9149. You can also follow me. On Twitter, at Kale Clark, and email the show, Kale, C-A-L-E, at RelevantRadio.com. And I'm going to read an email later that I got uh, yesterday, which was which was really encouraging. And I'd love for you to hear it as well. So we were talking before the break about this book, The Four Agreements, uh, by this kind of a spiritual shaman, if you will. This is, a, this is not a Catholic tradition at all. This guy comes from the, from the Toltec spiritual tradition. And the four agreements are, but I think anybody can kind of get behind these. Be impeccable with your word. Don't take anything personally. Don't make assumptions and always do your best. I think we can all agree with that. That's that's a good way to, to live one's life. So a question I wanted to answer about this is people might say, why would you read a book that's not, especially to do with improving oneself, that's not written from a Catholic perspective and may even have some pagan spiritual elements to it. Is this a good idea? Should other people do this? The answer is, it depends. I, I can't tell you what the, what the answer is. It, it depends on a lot of things, how strong you are in your faith. Um, we do have, one of the things I'm going to talk about tomorrow on the Faith Explained show at 1230 Central, if you want to catch it live, 
I'm going to be talking about excommunication. Excommunication in the Old Covenant, yeah, it did happen for things that you might find really frivolous. Uh, God says to the Israelites, you've got to make the incense for the tabernacle this way and this special uh, aromatic oil, the oil for anointing the priests, and it's really good stuff made with the finest materials, but you can't do this at home. You can't uh, try to create a Bath and Body Works uh, kiosk, you know, on, on the street or out in the desert and try to sell this to your friends, uh, your fellow Israelites. You can't use it for yourself and make perfume. Uh, Ode to Tabernacle, if you will. You're going to get excommunicated if you do this. This is only for worship purposes. And you might find that a little frivolous, but in the New Covenant, St. Paul has to essentially excommunicate this guy from the church in Corinth who's involved in just rank immorality. It's really, really bad stuff. Really bad stuff. And one of the things that St. Paul says to the Corinthians is like, look, you'd have to literally leave this world. You'd have to be beamed up to heaven uh, in order to escape sinners in the world because we live amongst them every day. And they are, by the way, they're potential saints, just like you and me. And we, we have to look at them not as our enemies, but as people who need Jesus Christ. And we have to convert them. We can't convert them. Only God can, of course. But we, we need to allow, uh, allow ourselves to be used by Jesus to reach these people because they need him. And he loves them. He doesn't want them to perish. So if you were to you know, be disassociated from any crazy ideas that are out there, pagan ideas, concepts, practices. You'd, you'd literally have to leave this planet. But within the church, we can't have these kinds of immoral immoral activities. The church is uh, the family of God, and, and the household rules are different. <laughs> uh, they are truth. They are God's way. And, and so we all have to deal with ideas that are not from a Catholic perspective at some level. And that doesn't mean some, but some some non-Catholic writers and people who generate ideas, they hit on things that are actually very useful and true, and ideas that we can kind of steal, and borrow, if you will, and implement them in our own life. Why? Because all truth is God's truth. All truth is God's truth. If something is true, we can use it, and we can use it to to live a better Catholic life. But I, but again, it, it depends on where you're at. Um, if you just came out of a background of New Age paganism. Maybe it's not a good idea to even entertain the idea of skimming a book like that because it might draw you back into that lifestyle. Just like if, if, you, if you're a recovering alcoholic, uh, if, you're, if you're a Catholic and you have a friend who's a recovering alcoholic, probably the thing that you don't want to do is, hey man, let's go to the pub. Because it may be fine for you you may be okay with just having a drink, but he's not, or she's not. And if she has one, she's going to have six. And then there's going to be a mess to clean up, maybe even literally. And that person could go down the slippery slope. You're not being loving at that point. And Paul talks about that in his letter to the Corinthians as well. For people who have just escaped paganism, if they're kind of weak in their faith, you need to treat them with tender loving care. However, so, so it kind of depends. It kind of depends. I, I get a lot of questions about people wondering, can I do yoga as a Catholic? Obviously, it's a huge trend. It's a huge fitness trend. There are elements of pagan spirituality within yoga. But it doesn't mean that if you go to a yoga class, you're going to all of a sudden become a Buddhist. I have a friend who's, a, who, who's an ex-seminarian, totally faithful Catholic, ex-seminarian, kind of discerned out of it. It wasn't God's call for him. He's now married, big family. And he does like hot yoga classes. Uh, what, he just thinks it's great for 
I've never tried yoga. I, I, first of all, I can't even touch my toes. That's, that's literally true. Heck, I can't even see my toes right now. I can't see around my beer belly, but that's what Lent is for, right? Uh, so maybe, I, maybe I need to go and get, get flexible. I don't know. But, but anyway, so my, my ex-seminarian friend who's now a married dad, he's totally in shape and he, he loves this stuff, but, but he's not going to, he's not going to be tempted by Eastern spirituality or anything like that. By the way, technically Catholicism is Eastern spirituality as well because it comes from Asia, right? The the ancient Near East. Okay, it's not a Western thing. It's 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 a universal thing. It's true for everybody at all times, all places. However, however, it's a little bit like so. When people ask this question, I say it depends, right? People, we, there are, there are pagans among us who quote unquote celebrate Christmas without being Catholic. <laughs> they they love to go to the parties. They love to get gifts. They even maybe love to give gifts, but there's no danger of them joining the church. Well, hopefully there is a, there, there is a temptation for them, a good temptation. Uh, just like at Easter, you can eat your Cadbury chocolate eggs as much as you want if you're not a Christian without any fear that, hey, if I, if I celebrate Easter, I might actually join the church. So it depends. It depends. So if it's like a yoga class or something, it depends on the instructor in some ways. Are they pushing that spirituality? Most of them don't even talk about it. Uh, it's become a very corporate thing, and fitness clubs all over the place do it. But at any rate, at any rate, I, I just, I kind of like to find elements of truth wherever I can, and and I try to use it and put it into into practice. And because it really, all truth belongs to to God, and it belongs to the, to the Catholic Church ultimately. That's what I think. Um, so I try to look at life that way. Maybe that doesn't work for everybody. I don't know, but you've got to you've got to figure it out. I, I will not tell anybody whether they should or shouldn't. You're an adult. You can not all of you listening are adults. Some of you guys might be teenagers or whatever, but but you get the point. Um, it's part of trying to be a mature follower of Christ. There you go. Some might disagree. Some might disagree, and of course, I would never say read anything that's contra the faith unless you're doing it to try to understand the arguments against the faith so that you can counteract it. That's a different story, but it's not for everybody. It's not for everybody. You're listening to the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Hopefully that was uh, as clear as mud in a, in a certain sense. Um, by the way, I wanted to tell you, uh, you're, gonna, you're definitely going to be hearing about this in the news if you haven't already. I'm sure it will be spun by secular media outlets in a certain fashion. The German Bishop's Synod is happening, and you probably are at least familiar at some level with the controversial synodal path and synodality. There's a synod on synodality. I don't know if you've seen the posters for this. They're bizarre Comic Sans MS font. What? Who are the PR people behind this? It's just so strange, the artwork and... And in Germany, the German bishops have, not all of them are, but, but a lot of them, let's face it, have, have gone down a very, very strange path, contrary to uh, the teaching, the official teaching of the Catholic Church. And I just wanted to share this with you in case you hear about this uh, tomorrow. I don't want you to be disturbed by this. But I saw on Twitter, in fact, uh, this is uh, Jonathan Lytle, who is an editor at the National Catholic Register is in Germany right now, and he's been covering this. And there were there were people outside, there were protesters outside that were saying things like they had, they had uh, basically banners that said in German, 
essentially don't do what Luther did. Don't do what Martin Luther did. And they, they basically took a vote on whether celibacy should be a requirement for priests, uh, potential priests. So the vote was, some people said, no, leave things as, as they are, but, but the overwhelming majority of the attendees voted that celibacy ought not to be a requirement for priests. Um, and I just want to, 67.6% of those who were present voted for this recommendation to sort of uh, make this optional. Um, now, what you'll see in the news, according to um, Jonathan Lytle, tomorrow, he says, the newspapers will print something to the... Now, he didn't say this. One of the participants said this. Tomorrow, the newspapers will print something to the effect of, quote, German Catholics ask Pope Francis to re-examine mandatory celibacy, end of quote. Well, that's not quite the case. Th these are just participants in this meeting of the synodal way. Priestly celibacy is always a, an issue, but I, I just want to say that I, I talk about this all the time with my non-Catholic friends. And in fact, one guy, um, I won't give his name, I, I knew him when I was doing my grad studies, and uh, he's an evangelical guy, really smart guy. He's thinking about the Catholic Church. And we often have these long texting conversations, these long threads go late into the night. And, and he constantly brings up celibacy. It's, it's a big deal uh, for him. And one of the things he keeps bringing up to me is celibacy is not a dogma of the church. And he's right about that. He's right about that. It's, it's a discipline. It's not a dogma. I do think it goes back to apostolic times. I do think that this is the ideal, but it is not a strictly required. Now it is, you know, in the Latin rite and the Roman rite, most obviously the vast majority of priests are celibate. However, there are some that are not, and most of them are converts from the Anglican communion. They were maybe Anglican priests, and they want to become Catholic priests. They're clergy converts, and they're granted a dispensation from Rome on celibacy. And if they want, they can become married, uh, ordained Catholic priests, if they choose. That. No, not a, that doesn't happen for everybody. Uh, Dr. Scott Hahn, who's a, obviously a noted Protestant uh, clergy convert to Catholicism, uh, one of the things that he told me years ago at, at a conference, I was speaking with him with a, which, with a bunch of other people, and I, I don't think this is uh, breaking any confidences or anything like this, because he said this in front of others as well. There's a group of people around, so it's not uh, private knowledge or anything. But one of the things that he said was when he converted to Catholicism over the years, and he's obviously a great preacher and teacher of the faith, over the years, some Catholic bishops called him Roman Catholic bishops, he didn't say who, of course, but, and they offered to ordain him as a married clergy convert, uh, ordain him, and, and with a dispensation from celibacy. We'll see if we can do this for you. Are you interested? And he always said, no, I'm personally not interested. Why? Because he said, well, when I was, when I was a Protestant minister, sometimes I felt like a bigamist. Why? Because you've got your church family on one side and your, your, your natural family on the other side. And what happens if you've got a parishioner who's in the hospital who needs a pastoral visit, and yet your kid has a baseball game and you should be there to support them? Or something like that. Things like that always happen. And you could argue they happen in other professions too. If you're an emergency room doctor or something like that, this might happen to you too. You're also away from your family. Okay, I get it. I get it. But um, I, I do think, 
priestly celibacy is 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 an interesting topic, and we can talk about that maybe more in depth later. But this is actually going to come up again tomorrow. Uh, a little plug for the Faith Explained show. I'll answer an email question that somebody had about how the old covenant priesthood, the, the Aaron and his sons and the Levites are the old covenant priests. How does that compare to the Catholic priesthood? They're similar and yet different. But what's what's intriguing is that in the old covenant priesthood, they weren't celibate. And in fact, the only way there could be priests in the old covenant was if they weren't celibate because the Levites, priesthood was passed down through the Levites through from father to son. So there had to be natural sons born in order to pass on the priesthood. But in the in the new covenant, it's not the same. It's not the same. It's a supernatural call from Christ. It's your vocation. And another thing that, that, that uh, Dr. Hahn said was that very often in his classes, and he wrote a book on this called, I believe it's called, um, Many Are Called, about the priesthood. And yes, that's what's called. I actually have it on my shelf, and uh, you should check it out. But very often when he was teaching at the Franciscan University of Steubenville, he talked about the priesthood, and, and one of the male students would come up to him after the class and say, you know what, I hear what you're saying, Dr. Hahn, about the priesthood, but uh, this does not interest me at all. I, I feel like I, I'm, I'm called to marriage and to be a family man, all that stuff. I'm not interested in hearing about this. And Dr. Hahn said to him, well, then you don't really understand it. If you're like, if you think this is boring or somehow you're not interested in this, then you don't really get it because every baptized Catholic male should have an intrinsic desire for the priesthood. If God were to give me this gift, in other words, that would be an incredible thing. Now, maybe he's got another gift for it. Just like, just like marriage should be intrinsically desirable. And usually there's not a problem with that. Usually most baptized Catholic males are like, man, marriage is a great vocation. I don't have to be convinced of that. If God gives me this vocation, exciting, great, wonderful. But maybe you're not so excited about the other one. And, oh man, that, this sounds like penance or whatever. No, but if you truly understand it, 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 you're actually, man, this would be amazing if God gives me this gift, but whatever he wants, whatever vocation he wants to give me. That, that's a really important thing. But let me just say a word about, about, about celibacy in, uh, in the church. A lot of non-Catholics are really confused by this because, but, but, but they really shouldn't be because temporary abstinence, even in the old covenant, the priests were married, they had children, but when they ministered in the temple, they had to be abstinent, sexually abstinent for that time period. And it's interesting because there's, they were serving in the temple of God all the time. And in a sense, Catholic priests do that all the time. Every day, not just for a, a few days a year, a couple weeks a year, but but all the time. It's interesting to think about. It's, but it, it doesn't denigrate marriage either. You can't give God a bad gift if you're if you're offering the possibility of marriage and children as a sacrifice to God. You're, it's not that this is a second class vocation. It's a beautiful vocation, and and the fact that you you would sacrifice this to to serve God in this way is is commendable, and. There's a lot we could say about this, but you probably have questions about it too. You can call in triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. Producer Jim is telling me we are up against it, so we got to take a quick break. We'll be right back on the Kale Clark Show. Triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. This is the Kale Clark Show, giving you the confidence you need to bring the faith into everyday life. 
Welcome back to the program. 888-914-9149 is the number to call if you want to call and react to anything that you've heard so far on the show. 888-914-9149. And, uh, oh, we had, a, we had a caller who just hung up. Uh, you gave up too soon. Maybe you can call back in. Uh, she wanted to talk about... Um, she wanted to talk about yoga, and she was going to say that yoga is not something Catholics should be involved in. And uh, if there's one thing I know about producer Jim, he's not into yoga. Isn't that true, Jim? Uh, yeah, I'd like to say I like to pump the iron a little more. A little bit more like Arnold, or maybe <laughs> these guys. Maybe <laughs> these guys. Can yeah, you can you play I, me yeah, a clip of go. our friends? Loosen ourselves. I am Hans. I'm Dan Franz, and, and we, we want to pump you up. Yeah, that, that's right. Hans and Franz. <laughs> Hear me now, listen to me next week, and believe me sometime later. We want to pump you up. And we want to certainly pump you up in your Catholic faith. Now let's go back to the phones, though. We do have John on the line in Encitas, California. Hi, John. Hey there, uh, Cal. I really, really enjoy uh, your program. Uh, I'm taking Latin and Greek, and I enjoy the etymology of words. Um, the first thing is that communication is two Latin words. Com, of course, means with, hmm. and munere, yep. which means to gather. So when we are communicating, we're not going against each other. We're gathering with. Hmm. American Indians, I lived with them for about three years up in New hmm. Mexico. They say that when you speak, it's like an arrow going up into the atmosphere. Hmm. What you say lasts forever. Wow. There's no erasing of your ink of the word. <laughs> the last comment is on eunuchs, that um, Jesus is the ultimate eunuch. Mm-hmm. In mm-hmm. the height of his virility, he sacrificed, and like he said to his apostles, and they commented, that's a hard saying. There are eunuchs who are born so from their mother's wombs, there are eunuchs who become so because of men, and there are eunuchs who become so for the sake of the kingdom. So the yeah. ultimate sacrifice of our bodies is to give ourselves completely to Christ to deny and become one with him. Mm, God bless. Yeah. Well, John, thank you so much for your kind words. Really interesting phone call. I really appreciate that. Uh, thank you so much for listening to the program. I'm glad you're um, getting something out of it. And I, I definitely got a lot out of that phone call. Yeah, this idea that once once your words leave your mouth, you really can't take them back. They're, they're out there. They're, they're in the ether. And um, sometimes it's very difficult to forget things that, that people have said to us. Uh, but also words of blessing, you know, as James says in his letter, the tongue is, if you can control your tongue, you can control your entire life. You can control your entire body because it's so difficult to do that. It's like a raging fire. And if you live out in California, as John does, you know about forest fires. You know how they can get out of control quite quickly. Words can be said that can touch off a conflagration. And Whew, with a little spark, a fire can start. And it's like, think about a rudder, James says, that, that turns an entire ship. Uh, it, it's so tiny, but it just it just moves everything. And, and so our tongue can be like that. We, we bless people that are, we should be using it to bless people who are made in the image and likeness of God, but very often we use it to curse and uh, we use it for evil purposes. And so we ought not to do that, as James says. And Really intriguing about, about thoughts about communication from John as well. And yeah, eunuchs for the kingdom. It's interesting. Uh, one scholar, the great, the late great uh, Professor John Meyer, Father John Meyer, who taught for so many years at Notre Dame, uh, he said in one of his uh, books about the Gospel of Matthew that 
This is probably an insult that was levied at Jesus and the apostles. This this idea of being eunuchs for the kingdom. Well, there go those eunuchs for the kingdom because they, they were well known for practicing celibacy. And that was, it wasn't unheard of. It wasn't unheard of in, in Judaism uh, during uh, Jesus' day. But... But it was comparatively rare, and and he and Jesus uses this as a teachable moment. He says some are eunuchs because they were born that way. Maybe yeah, tragically they had a uh, maybe a birth defect or something like that. Uh, some were made that way by men, uh, and he's referencing, of course, the bodyguards uh, in olden times of the harems of the king. They would often castrate these guys, and they'd just pump iron like Hans and Franz all day long, and they get they get really buff. And they would be there to protect the king's harem, his wives and concubines, somebody like King Solomon. But the king would never have to worry about him messing with the girls, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, so so see, some have made, been made that way by men, but others have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Whoever can accept this should accept this. And that, that implies that the idea of accepting it implies that it is a gift. It is a gift that's given by God to some, but not all, but not all, of course, because Catholics have to come from somewhere, right? So the easiest way to become a Catholic is to be born into it and hopefully stay with it. Uh, the second way is to become a convert, and that's, that's, not, always, that's not always easy. And uh, it's certainly a worthwhile journey, as many of you know, who are converts to the faith. But uh, that being said, Really interesting phone call from John. Uh, I wanted to share with you an email that this is really uh, kind of cool and, and so encouraging to me. Uh, Mark Twain used to say that he could go a whole month on one word of encouragement. I could use about three a day. Well, Lydia, who's listening in Los Angeles on 9.30 a.m. KHJ, she wanted to show how much she just enjoys relevant radio and the change that's made, the, the what she and her family gets out of it. Um. She, we were talking yesterday about the cough button. Uh, somebody was complaining about the cough button. Uh, if you want to hear what that was about, just just check the podcast for yesterday's show. Um, here's what she says, Lydia. She said, and thank you for your kind words, by the way, Lydia. She says, I'm a mom with two teenage boys, and after I pick them up from school, we listen to your show on the 20-minute drive home, and sometimes one of my sons and I stay in the car after we've gotten home so that we can hear it until the end. We love your show. My boys never complain or tell me to change the station. The same thing happens with Patrick Madrid's show. We listen to him on the way to school, and my son actually requests that I put him on. Hey, smart guy. She says, I really appreciate everybody on Relevant Radio. I most especially appreciate you, Kale, Drew, and Patrick. Your kind personalities are very healing. I wish I had time to listen all day. So thank you to everybody at Relevant Radio for being so absolutely wonderful and pouring out your hearts in what you do. The care and concern you have for all others comes through, and we so appreciate that. My prayers go out to all of you. God bless you all. Wow, thank, thank you for that really kind email, Lydia. That, that really, really makes my day. I, I tell you, and, and I'm just so happy that Relevant Radio has been a positive thing for you and your family. And that's right, we are locked in all day long, 24-7. 365, got Patrick in the morning, all of our great programming. We've got the Mass at noon. We've got Josh Raymond, The Inner Life. We've got so many great shows. We've got Father Simon. Who doesn't love Father Simon? He is the 
Man, I, I can't I can't get enough of listening to Father Simon. He's an unbelievable personality. Of course, Drew Mariani. We've got Timory. We've got so many. Father Rocky with the Family Rosary every single night in Lent and lessons, of course, all throughout these days of Lent. We've been really, really blessed at, at Relevant Radio, and I'm just so happy to be uh, part of this team as we seek to bring Christ to the world through the media. And I love hearing from you guys. Uh, you can also pop me a line, kale at relevantradio.com, C-A-L-E at relevantradio.com. Well, stay tuned. Keep it locked. Like I said, Timory's coming up next. Followed by Father and the Family Rosary. Jim Shaper produced. Patrick Alog took your phone calls. We'll see you tomorrow. God bless you. Take it away, Michaela. Thank you for listening to my daddy. <laughs>